and welcome to Tipping the Balance. I'm Katie Hickey, your host, and today we hear from Caroline Demanska. Caroline is a money mindset coach and has worked in the finance industry for over 20 years. In this episode, we discuss all things money. How can we get the balance right with working, managing homes, childcare, whilst also working towards financial freedom? Money can be such a taboo subject, and for women especially, even in 2021, it's still all too common for women not to be in charge of their own finances. We debunk the myths around financial freedom and what that might mean for different people. Caroline gives loads of practical steps to help you unpick what your relationship is with money and how you can take simple steps to be better in control of your finances. I learned so much from my conversation with Caroline and I know you will too. If this resonates with you, please share this episode with your friends. Hi Caroline, welcome to Tipping the Balance. Thank you for taking the time today. I know that you've got kids at home and you've had to arrange um, some childcare so you can talk to me. So I really, really appreciate it. Um, So Caroline, you are a money mindset coach. I thought it would be really nice to talk to you today for for lots of reasons. And I know that there's quite a few different topics that we might delve into. But my main kind of reason for asking you was the fact that you are a woman working in finance and advising people on how to make steps to try and get financial freedom and take control of your money and kind of look at your relationship with money, which is, I think, something that a lot of women don't do or shy away from or feel that they're not able to. Do you want to maybe just start off by giving a little introduction about yourself, you know, what you do and maybe how you got to be a money mindset coach? Yeah, I can do. Yeah. So thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I'm really delighted to be here. I think it's such an important topic talking about women and money. So my background, I started in finance um, right back in the 90s, um, right at the bottom, just as a cashier in a bank. Uh, say just as a cashier but yeah so that's how it all kind of started off really and I always had a kind of love of money in terms of like how did it work what am I going to do with it from quite a young age um I was that I was the saver I liked to put money in the piggy bank and that kind of thing so I suppose it was a natural progression um and then I trained to be a financial advisor um in 99 and I qualified then did mortgages and investments and worked for um what's now Santander actually and that was a really good grounding a great place to to learn my trade although I always remember my mum saying you're only 22 or whatever I was at the time has anybody gone to listen to you about finance well it turns out they did actually <laughs> and so it's interesting times um and that was a really really good fun and then I worked uh, moved on to working with private clients high net worth clients for Barclays and and over over time, um, then took a job out in Abu Dhabi. Um, so I worked overseas as a financial advisor. So I'm doing all this financial advising. It's all been, you know, a really interesting journey, meeting loads of different people, lots of different nationalities, getting to live overseas, all that exciting stuff. But at some point, I just thought, you know, I don't know if I want to be a financial advisor anymore. And the reason for that was. Um, 
I just didn't want every conversation to have to end up in a sale all the time because that's how financial advisor earns their money ultimately. Although times have moved on a little bit now, you can pay fees and there's different ways of doing it. But at the time, really, you know, every conversation was geared towards some additional sales or new sales. And I thought, what if you took away the sales element? You know, what if you could just have a conversation about money without actually actually having to end up in a product sale? How would that change the tone of the conversation? Could could we talk about things differently? How much deeper could you go? And it turns out you can do quite a lot more once you take out the pressure of me being the seller and you being the buyer, because actually there's quite a lot of pressure from, from that aspect as well. You know if you're sitting down in that kind of conversation that it should end up somewhere. Um, but when you take that out, that means you can really get to kind of the root of what money's all about for you. Um, so I decided we moved back from Abjabi and I decided, did I want to re- re-license here as a financial advisor or did I want to retrain? So I decided to do a postgrad in business and personal coaching. And then I also took some specialised money coaching um, qualifications. And then, so that's what I've been doing since 2014, pretty much. I sold my business in Abu Dhabi and, and have been talking to people about how they feel about money, how they think about money, how that affects them, but also the practical aspects of day-to-day money management and um, empowering yourself or finding that power within yourself to, um, to be able to invest confidently and grow your, grow your wealth. Mm-hmm. And if you're coming from a standing start. So I do a mixture of mindset work and um, practical action, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, cool. in hand. so that's my, my little potted history. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so in terms of the type of people that might hire you to work with them in, in the capacity of a money mindset coach, I guess um, I can just imagine a lot of people might have the reaction, which probably would be my initial reaction of all, I don't think I've got enough money to have much of a money mindset. But um, I know because I've spoken to you before, like there are certain kind of difficult relationships that people can have with money. And, you know, what would you say to kind of the the skeptics out there to say, oh, it's only for people that have got loads of money? No, it's definitely not for people who've got loads of money. There is, um, it's, it's for, I would say it's, it's for somebody who feels like they've got reasonable, because I do charge, I mean, there there is that to it, right? So in terms of clients who come to me, I would say it's people who um, have a reasonable amount of money coming in, but don't feel they ever have any. (laughs) They don't know what happens to it, um, or they just feel like they should be so much further forward than where they are now. So um, if you are in the situation of problems with debt and things like that, I can also give some free guidance and, and so forth there and different places where you can get, get help. So, um, so I do offer that. But so the next step up is really for so really when you say, OK, where am I going with my financial life? Like, I don't know. And it often hits people around you know, those milestone birthdays, 30, 40, sometimes 35, you feel like this kind of middle age, midlife thing coming on. And you suddenly look and you think, and oh, I can't keep going along this same path. If I keep, if I don't know anymore, or I don't change my behaviours, I'm going to look at myself at 50, 55, 60 and think, 
oh, what have I, where, how did it get to this point? And now I've got so much less time to do anything about it. Mm. Um, so I help people discover why they keep getting stuck in that same groove, the same things, doing the same old patterns of behavior, and then give you more financial education and, and tools so that you can then make decisions as to how you're going to grow your wealth, even if that's like, start just starting from from scratch really mm -hmm. in terms of you don't have to have oodles of money in the bank to in order to grow your wealth you can have a thousand pounds or 500 pounds you can start growing your wealth you know? mm. yeah. yeah and I think kind of for the benefit of um the people listening to this podcast it might be interesting um to let them know that fred my husband was a client of yours and mm -hmm. i think you know when when fred and i first got together and we were kind of thrust together into a quite a serious relationship quickly because we got pregnant quite fast um unexpectedly uh and i would say he didn't have much of a relationship with his money um and it was something that we talked about and uh he yeah he was very much still kind of letting his mum kind of take charge of his financial situation yeah. which I found um interesting is probably the most diplomatic word to use um and anyway it was just it started I think it got him thinking because I started asking some some questions and um, because obviously we were now becoming our own family unit and I'm not sure exactly how he found you but then you know he he worked with you for for quite a while and it really kick-started something for him he, he has completely changed the way he manages his money and it's been it was the start of a really amazing journey and he's now become you know really independent and it's something that he has just taken and, and run with it um sometimes I sometimes I wish that I hadn't mentioned it so many times <laughs> because it has become this huge thing of in his life now but but actually it's all for the good and I am really grateful that he uh you know took that initiative and and that he met you and then I met you and I remember like one of the sessions you had with Fred we we had a session all together me Fred and you and you asked me some questions about my relationship with money and kind of my my beliefs and attitudes towards money which I think was was quite interesting um, and I have to say I felt really nervous before the call um um, I was quite nervous because money is such a, an emotive topic isn't it for people to to talk about and there can be quite a lot of shame and all sorts of quite big emotions that go hand in hand with it that is so true I think everybody's got their own money story um then we we gather up these ideas about money right from right from the word go you know um, we're learning about the world all the time I mean, as we all know, as parents, you know, we're inputting the stuff to our kids all the time, but we don't know necessarily whether, you know, the things we say to them are, are for good or bad. But um, nonetheless, you know, we learn things about the way kind of like our parents acted with money, like the stories that are told in our family about money, um, what we've learned through education, through um, other 
influences in your life you know maybe from the church and different things like that we learn so much you know and we see what's on on the tv how people act with money i mean like my daughter now like when we play shops we don't we don't use coins you know we we always swipe our cards now and things like that it's like I'm sure, I'm sure you mentioned coin when you play shots, right? Um, but just silly little things, isn't it? But these things kind of all build up a picture, a money story that we're telling ourselves about what money means in our life and um, what we're allowed to do with it, what we're not allowed to do with it, what we should be doing. Um, and, and I think it's discovering that money story can be the set off for, oh, okay, like, you might, might think that you think you know what you think about money, but I think until you really delve into it, you don't necessarily have enough uncovered all those things. And and I think for women as well, we've got that whole kind of societal thing where um, if you think like 40, 40, 50 years ago, like I know when my mum had me, it was expected that you gave up work, you gave up your job. You didn't have maternity leave, you resigned from your job. That's only like I'm 44, so that's only like what 40, 50 years ago. Um, it's not that long um, that things have changed for women in society and in terms of the financial, I won't say freedoms that we have, but you know, the, the ability for us to earn money and not be so reliant on um, other people in our lives. You know, and you think of how many hundreds of years there was before that where this whole idea that women should just be reliant on on somebody else, you know, you have to marry somebody to in order to stay financially stable and all of that kind of thing. It's so, it's no wonder, you know, we're a bit screwed up about it, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, absolutely. And I think just, I mean, my, the messages that I think I had about money growing up was that, you know, money was precious and um you know it certainly wasn't something in abundance and that I needed to work hard focus on my studies so that I could get a good career so that I could so I could get money and that was really my kind of focus and I think yes whilst we do have now the freedom of having the choice of being able to make our own money it's something I think we haven't quite got there yet um, in terms of, and I certainly don't think we've got the balance quite right because it was something that I never really considered how it would change if I had a family. And that is something that I have found quite difficult personally, uh, going from being my own kind of independent person and having my own income to then, I mean, my job, I did, I did essentially resign from my job, but that was not because, um, well, it was a conscious choice, but it was just the circumstances of where my job was and where Fred was. They were in different places and everything. So, um, yeah, I, I think I did weirdly, even though now, yeah, we're 2021, I sometimes feel as though I live this slightly archaic <laughs> life of, of quitting my job, but it's emotionally, mentally, financially, that has been quite hard uh, and I, it's something that I really want to change and I'm kind of acutely aware of feeling this kind of vulnerable feeling of not having my own um, money and I think so many women today still feel like that um, they still feel quite vulnerable um, and 
yeah I mean I know before we started the interview you you mentioned um you know how circumstances in your life have changed as well that made you feel a bit vulnerable um well certainly yeah I mean over the last year no two years I suppose I've been pregnant and had a baby um but over that time like the pregnancy was a lot more medically kind of kind of involved than it perhaps could have been um so that sort of took over from you know I was self-employed so relying on on me and my business and I think a lot of people who are self-employed find this issue that you know if if they're not working then it just doesn't happen right Mm -hmm. um so and then after that even when the baby was born my husband works overseas and he got um with the pandemic he got stuck overseas um so he was there for five months he was meant to be there he was meant to be home on the due date (laughs) the baby came three weeks early anyway and then and then they shut the airport when he was like two weeks old or something and he didn't come back till he was four months old so it was a bit sad but oh yeah thank god for facetime um and so that has been an interesting time and I've been left with a few health issues since then as well which has meant I haven't got quite fully back into work but I always had this conscious decision that I wouldn't start back till he was probably one anyway which is Mm. just coming around the corner yeah so it's like it kind of fitted in all right but I think what it highlights is um two things that you could look at it from two aspects and that because that sort of situation can happen to women all the time right um it's that from a you can either take it on as your own individual kind of responsibility like what can I do to impact um that so if I had if I wanted a period where I didn't didn't want to work or wasn't able to work what have I got in the background to tide me over or or to fulfill like a a a decent level of income even it doesn't have to be just to tide you over but you can also look at it from a societal perspective right like at the end of the day the strive for kind of equality between men and women is a good thing but actually we're not equal we do stop and we do have babies and (laughs) we um you know and we do want to spend some time off with our babies it's like a natural kind of thing to want Mm -hmm. to do I think anyway um and I think society has to uh, recognize that and and that's why there are things like maternity leave and all of those sort of things maternity allowances etc which aren't enough but they're there so you know I think maybe there's more that needs to be done from a society perspective in order to help women preserve that balance of um, financial independence and and you know and raising children which is a really important yeah that that has been something that's come up uh, with a couple of other interviews you know about the the fact that as a society we don't place much value on the child rearing <laughs> um which tends to shaft us quite a lot, doesn't it? You mentioned um, about, you know, having some health issues mm. kind of through your pregnancy. And I know um, that you, you've you always kind of known that you have a, a, bl- a blood condition. And do you, do you mind talking a bit about that? It's fine. Um, so back in 2015, when I was trying to get pregnant with um, my elder, it wasn't happening very quickly. So I, and I was like, come on, like you're 30, whatever I was. 38 or 37 you're quite old you should get turned down the doctors and just see what's going on I said what do you think anyway off I went 
And they had just happened to do a full blood count at the time as part of a raft of other things they tested me for. And just in there, I had a, a low platelet count and platelets are responsible for, amongst a number of other mechanisms, they're responsible for the clotting of your blood. So if you don't have very many, um, you're at risk of bleeding and bruising and things like this. Now, luckily for me, um, it was low, but my platelet count was low, but um, it, I didn't really have any symptoms. Um, so the hematologist was like, well, we just, even though it's low, we just watch and wait really and just see what happens. And yeah, go ahead and get pregnant. She said, no problem at all, fine. So that's what I did. And I did get pregnant. Um, and actually with the Cara, my, my eldest, um, I didn't have any issues in pregnancy and they gave me some treatment towards the end, pushed up my platelet count, I gave birth and, and everything was normal. But then in the preceding kind of time between that and having and getting pregnant again, um, I was a bit more symptomatic and covered in bruises. You did like, I look like I've been beaten on my legs. It's terrible. <laughs> and I go swimming, people say to me, Oh, people feel compelled to ask you what's going on, you know, are you okay? Like, because you do look, I do look um, not great. But anyway, that aside, I decided to, I, the overwhelming thing was that I wanted another baby. And yeah, it's really hard to weigh up like the health risks and so forth. But I thought, well, ultimately, if I, my body gets pregnant, I reckon I can cope with them. Um, so I took that kind of attitude and did lots of things to be healthy and all that kind of thing. But um, reality was they couldn't get my platelet count. Once I got pregnant, they couldn't get my platelet count to come up. Like, so I had to make lots of decisions about different drugs to take and whether or not to take them and that kind of thing. And um, we were right, you know, at the end of my pregnancy, still hadn't found anything <laughs> to push my platelet count up in other than um, one treatment which took a whole week I had to have all the plasma in my body taken out and put back in five times I did that over a week yeah and then they gave me this other treatment and then my platelet counts went up and they held for two weeks wow well let's repeat that uh, just before the baby's due right so we're gonna have this window but then he came early so <laughs> we had this whole scenario of me in the hospital um, literally like in labor and then wanting to hook me up to this plasma exchange machine, which is like a ginormous washing machine for your blood, basically. And you have to put your, keep your arm straight for like three hours. And I'm like, this isn't working. I'm like literally like in the throes of labor and it's all going quite, quite well, but I'm just, I want to move around. I don't want to be, have my arm straight on this machine. Mm. <laughs> so you've got the nurse for the blood, nurse trying to do this and the midwife going oh, I don't think this is going to happen <laughs> <laughs> and then but she persuaded me to get on the bed anyway and um get up onto the bed and I, she says you can hold your arm out straight if you like um here and I was like oh well maybe it'll work maybe it'll work anyway the next thing I know the baby was coming anyway and so he was born a few hours so that it was amazing birth really and I was very lucky. But um, yeah, so I had the treatment after that, after it, rather than during labour. <laughs> but actually, as, as it goes, uh, I lived to tell the tale, a platelet count of 6,000, which is tiny, um, and just normal amount of bleeding. I don't know how it happened. Like, somebody was looking after us all, but there we are.
So that's <laughs> quick potted bear story. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is an amazing story. And your husband wasn't there with you. No, I was really lucky because we'd got, I was being looked after up in London, a specialist um, hospital up there. Um, so about, uh, that's about an hour from us. And um, I'd gone in to see one of my normal nurses locally to um, for my bloods to be done. And um, she, she said, so you're all right? I said, oh, I'm a bit, little bit crampy. And she felt my tummy. She's, she's had five babies herself. So she was like, mm, I don't like this. We're going to get the midwife down and <laughs> come see you. And um, they said they could see some movement but they didn't think anything was you know I was going to give birth or anything imminently so they suggested I go up to London to my my hospital up there they said in my notes apparently that like if I were to have any twinges I was to head up to um head up to my London hospital so anyway by the time I got myself sorted out and actually kind of went up there it was like seven o'clock or something like that and they said, oh, well, I think we just get this plasma exchange done. It doesn't look like the baby's coming anytime soon. And I said to my mum, look, why don't you go back? With My dad was there with my daughter. And I said, why don't you go back with dad? It takes ages, this plasma thing. It's very boring. You can come back in the morning. She's like, oh, if you're sure. <laughs> and then at the last minute, I said to her, do you know what? Actually, could you, just, could you stay? And she she'd brought stuff to say. So I said, oh, she said, all right, I'll stay. Yeah, no problem. That was at 8.30. And then the baby was born at 12.30. So it's lucky I asked her to stay. <laughs> I would have been on my Todd. And you know, this was just before the pandemic. So at that time, it was fine. Like people, 6th of March, can't believe it. But 6th of March, people were freely coming in and out of the hospital, no problem at all. By the time I left hospital two weeks later, um, there was restrictions. Nobody could come in. You know, it was all the world had changed in two weeks. It was amazing. It was a really wow. weird thing. Really weird. That, that must have been, yeah, that must have been quite a challenging time. Yeah, in terms of your mental and physical health, because you, you say so you had to stay in hospital for two weeks after the birth. Was was that because of the? Were they did they have to continue um, more treatment? I had to give more treatment to me, but also um, it doesn't happen all the time, but the baby can get low platelets um, for a temporary period, which turned out to be about four months for Aaron. But um, So he was in neonatal basically for two weeks. So I was partly there and yeah, it was, it was quite a time, but um, he was in the good, good hands. He was actually not poorly at all. He was very healthy, really. Um, it's just that he had a low platelet count like me. So they, for little babies, they worry about bleeds on the brain and all that kind of stuff. So we had to, uh, had to do that. And then even when we came back here, we were at hospital every other day. It was kind of, so you just get, I suppose, you just, in those situations, you just focus on the immediate situation rather than the bigger picture. It was stressful not having David here, but my parents are brilliant. So that was fine. And what was more stressful, I think, was coming back into the real world and the real world was quite completely changed. <laughs> so I remember coming home from hospital and the Tesco's had, I'd ordered some Tesco's food and it hadn't come. You know how difficult it was to get deliveries at that time and stuff. And um, 
it hadn't come and it said it had come and I was I was like convinced that somebody had stolen it off my doorstep that people were starting to like steal food and all this kind of stuff I was like oh my god that's it I can't even feed my family I've got this baby and I can't even feed anybody and I got all upset about that and so it's things like that as it turned out they were just running late they had no digital <laughs> <laughs> but it was like it was kind of the whole thing like just it was a real survival moment you know where not a real survival moment compared to people who actually have real difficulties getting food but you know we're we're so used to just being able I weren't we at the time to just do whatever we could you know whatever we wanted you know you want something from the shops you go and get it and there's plenty of food there and then you know to bring a newborn baby back into the situation where it felt like your food supply was under threat it was quite daunting really but and I can imagine like given you know the the circumstances of Mm. his birth and you not being very well and then him being in intensive care and everything I mean if that was me I'm thinking I would be thinking oh you know he's a bit vulnerable and like extremely precious of course all babies are extremely precious but if they've been through something as well and, and it's you know as you say went on for four months that must have made you feel even less free to just go you know masked up to Tesco's or something because maybe you just you had you wanted to stay completely in your house I imagine yeah we didn't leave yeah we didn't walk we did walks but we didn't go anywhere till I don't know I can't remember now but quite a long time like after people started doing going places and doing more stuff it was we I waited another I remember waiting another month it might have been July I think people might have started doing things a bit more in June and then in I think July before I started going anywhere because he was much stronger and fitter and healthier by them and all that stuff. so um but yeah it's a really it's been a really odd time to have a baby yeah it's a really tricky time I think um having the flexibility of working for myself and having other streams of income I think has really helped um me just kind of that hasn't been so much of a pressure mm-hmm. you know forward forward planning but I know going back to this kind of idea of, um you know even talking about money this idea that um I think we just need to make it normal that we talk about money and talk about wealth creation and we talk about what we're doing I mean it's such it's such a taboo subject it's not something that people necessarily sit around the dinner table talking about at all mm-hmm. um, you know, you go for a chat with your friend, go for a coffee, go to theirs for dinner in the olden days. Um, then, you know, is it something that we sit there and say, well, this is what I'm doing with my finances, you know? Um, and yeah, this is how I'm thinking to make more income. And yeah, my financial freedom day is so-and-so. And, you know, these are like really alien. Hmm. They sound like alien topics to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it out loud like that. Um and even me, you know, I talk about I talk about money mindset and money in a in a professional capacity a lot. But with my very close friends, do I they I, I sometimes say the things I'm doing, but do we have full on conversations about you know what they're doing financially? Not necessarily. Like um, you know, I, I can know what the big things they are doing tend to be like you know more stuff housing and stuff like that, I suppose. But yeah, what what are we all doing to actually get ourselves in a position of um, having an element of financial freedom? And I think that sparks me 
back to when you were talking about Fred earlier, I think one of the things that um, helped him was understanding that financial freedom, it sounds like this really big thing. Uh, And it it is. And I think it comes with these connotations of it being like financial freedom. That's the time when I've got like, I can order champagne every day and drive around in a Rolls Royce and zoom around on my yacht kind of sound got that kind of feel to it sometimes yes yes please (laughs) i like one of those yeah and if that's what financial freedom means to you yeah go for it right it doesn't matter what it means what it means what it matters is what it means to you but i think a lot of people kind of think oh that seems so far off like why even bother taking any steps towards it whereas actually if you bring financial freedom right down to being well what's my sort of break even financial freedom figure what's like that first step and that might be you know, I need to have £2,000 coming in a month in order that if I wasn't to work for, uh, or wasn't, didn't want to work or didn't, wasn't able to work for six months or a year, or whatever, that would cover all my basic necessities, you know, pay my bills, um, it give me food on the table, we'd be able to do a few things and stuff like that. So when you start thinking, finding your like break even point, it becomes more manageable to think, well, actually, okay, how could I bring in that? income how could I set up my finances so that um so that I've got some passive income streams I've got some other income streams that um that could fulfill that for me so that if I'm not working or I choose not to work I've got something Mm. and what I've noticed though um in terms of people's thinking okay what other streams of income could I have um, that a lot of people feel resistant to even starting to think about other income streams. Um, you, it seems like you have people that are either really up for thinking about stuff outside the box and yeah, okay. I, I, what, what could these streams look like? And they're kind of open to exploring. And then a lot of people just want to close the door on it straight away um and fred i know talks quite a bit about um you know just having if you only have that you know one source of income it's quite fragile and then you know you're a bit vulnerable and stuff and a lot of people just don't like hearing that um could you do you know why that might be or do you have any opinion on on that i think um i think that it partly is goes back to that kind of um, something that we were talking about earlier, which is um, that kind of work hard mentality, that thing that's being pushed on us as, as children and young, young adults. But, you know, you work hard, you get a good job um, and, you know, you get a good career with a stable income and that will provide for you. I mean, we don't live in that day and age where we got the idea that, you know, you take a job for life as such. Um, but I think this, we still hang on to that a bit onto that idea that you know the ones our main income from our main job should be sufficient why do we need all these other things um and why do we need to look outside of that Mm. so i think that that's partly it i think also it's a view of kind of overwhelm i mean we've all got so many different things going on in our lives right Mm. yeah kids we've got jobs we've got businesses homeschooling la 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 you know all the all the stuff that's going on at the moment to think about so in some ways it can feel like well where do I even know where to start with that 
because I think it can be overwhelming kind of lack of knowing where to start. Um, and I think just this idea is that, is that, you know, do I actually need any more? Now, some people are quite resistant to kind of growing their um, wealth ceiling, if you know what I mean. Um, I think everybody's got like a financial thermostat, essentially. So an, a level of income or a level of wealth that you feel is kind of suitable for you. <laughs> so, yeah. And that might be, there'll be different figures in which if you look, if you do an exercise where you sort of write down or even say aloud to somebody else, um, it's okay for me to earn £20,000 a year. It's okay for me to earn £15,000 a year. It's okay for me to earn £100,000 a year. And keep saying those figures keep pushing them up until you find the point where you feel icky about it. That's your, <laughs> when you go, oh my God, no, not me. I, I, and there'll be a reason why you don't want to go above that level. There, there'd be a reason. It could be like conditioning, like from your money stories and things you've learned in the past. It could be the neg, what I call the dark side of success. So, you know, to earn a hundred thousand a year, for example, I perceive that I've got to, you know, work seven days a week and never see my family and da 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 da. And for me, that's just not worth it. So that's a story you're telling yourself. It's maybe true. It might not be true. You know, that you could earn a hundred thousand without doing all those things if that's the way you wanted to set up your life. But you've got a belief that that amount of money equals doing xyz that doesn't sound very palatable to you so it's exploring what what's your what's your dark side of success what's your negative connotations around achieving that kind of kind of income or that kind of wealth and just finding out where what's comfortable for you like where's where's that it doesn't have it doesn't have to be about pushing up the thermostat all the time but you know it it's about discovering well where is my thermostat and what do I need to do to tweak that if 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 I want if indeed I do want to tweak that in any way mm. so I think that's that's where some of the resistance comes from yeah okay now it is it is interesting and it's certainly a topic that comes up in, in our house quite a lot I mean we we do talk about money I think every day <laughs> it comes up I mean um yeah and sometimes I just don't want to talk about money and I say to Fred do we have to do we have to talk about this now or it used to be I've become kind of accustomed to it now and it's not such a it's not such an icky subject for us but I remember at the beginning of his money journey I would say you know, we had an agreement that we wouldn't talk about it in the evening before bed because then we would, you know, feel as though it would put us, or I didn't want to get kind of hyped up or feel stressed kind of before going to bed. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, I mean, Fred listens to um, his cryptocurrency coach usually every night. He's <laughs> listening to some <laughs> webinar. <laughs> I know know the sound um of his voice almost as well as I know Fred's <laughs> it's so. a little messaging for you <laughs> interesting thing though because with couples that's what they say is that um one or more what generally speaking one or more one or other of you would be more into money than the other like in terms of learning about it or um knowing about it so it's quite often I find with couples that one is the fact what I'd call the financial lead um 
and there's nothing wrong with that because you know in some ways um you know you can work to your own money personality but i think um and i this, i remember talking to you about this before i think it's important to understand that you've both got your own money personalities and the way you want to do things and that's absolutely fine and you should it's not about bring one being better than the other or dragging the other person over to your side of the fence um it's a it's about find, finding that third way for you as a couple so kind of what works for you financially as a couple what are you kind of striving towards for your family unit and how does that look and what money stories and money plans do we need to make and need to get rid of and need to make going forward in order that family unit you know, has mm-hmm. what you want what mm-hmm. you want to achieve out of it and it sounds like you guys got to that level that level mm-hmm. so I remember before you I don't think you knew anything really about what was going on in terms <laughs> of finances and Fred was taking it all to himself thinking well I've got to be the chap you know and just like hold it on my shoulders and worry about it whereas in reality you know that's hard it's hard either way isn't it it's hard for you to be in the dark as a woman and it's hard for the man to have to carry all the load and that's a very stereotypical kind of view of it I suppose in a way but Mm -hmm. I think we do slip back into that especially when we you know if if, like yourself you know you gave up your your work because of various reasons but you know when we find ourselves in that less financially independent position then um it can be tempting just to well not tempting I think it just is kind of I suppose that society conditioning thing again of like you know well we just get looked you can just get looked after by by the man but actually we don't necessarily always think that way nowadays you know Um, it's a lot of pressure for us right (laughs) yeah yeah, absolutely and I remember um I remember my dad asking me a question about Fred um you know I think he said something like you know, can he provide for you? Can he support you? Um, I mean, my parents are in their mid seventies, so they are, you know, they do have fairly kind of conservative views. Um, although my mum worked full time and took a hundred percent of the domestic load. Um, <laughs> so wasn't my dad lucky, but, um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, what would you say to someone like me? I feel like I'm getting a free session here, sorry. <laughs> because I think a lot of women, you know, particularly yeah, from my generation who have had to take maybe a pause in their career for children or they not necessarily had to, maybe they wanted to, maybe they wanted to, partly had to, you know, whatever. There's lots of reasons. Um, I think if we because you know we're not necessarily from that generation where we do feel just able to rely completely on our husbands or partners to provide for us and you know there must be lots and lots of couples that aren't married as well and then you know in terms of legally they don't have any um they don't have anything to fall back on if that partnership uh, separates unless you know maybe they have special other kind of legal um, agreements between them but for somebody like me who doesn't really earn very much at all you know what kind of steps could I take to start building up a bit feeling a bit more independent or getting a little bit of yeah working towards my own financial freedom I think it's firstly sort of saying what, what, what do you want what do you want money to do for you what dreams do you want 
to bring into reality because that's what money does it just brings dreams into reality um so it's starting point i think is having that conversation with yourself like well, what do i you know take off like the idea that it's not possible i can't do it and all of that kind of thing just have some um some clear th- some good thinking about really well where what do i want money to do for me what in the next year the next five years and the next 10 years it's not like a financial plan but more like a, a dream plan um and yeah i do um i do do ask these questions of my clients um when we first um first do our sessions together that really kind of get you thinking along those, those ways so that's i think a really good starting starting point to say well if you know nothing if what do i want to happen in the next year five years ten years um then um really the starting point then I think is to say well if that's what I want money to do for me then how what what is my money doing right now that um, is helping towards that is it doing any, anything to help me so that can be looking at it sort of from a two-pronged kind of practical approach is one well if I've got some money coming in what am I actually doing with that money is it going where I want it to go am I giving it jobs to do Money without jobs to do tends to have a, a, a tends to wander off really. <laughs> <laughs> do its own thing. Now, why <laughs> I don't mean like it doesn't mean that it, it it sounds like oh god you know a job to do that sounds very boring. But I give job money jobs to do of all different ilks. So, um, for example, I think one of the things I um, I've instilled in a lot of my clients is the idea that you should have a fun pot. So it can't all be about like saving money and trying to move yourself forward there. It has to be about, you know, getting your money to do stuff for you now and in the future. So having things like a fun pot, like I have a health pot. So like if I want to do um, extra things for my health, like acupuncture or I want to go and have a massage or something like this, you know, I've got money there um, dedicated towards that. Um, I suggest things like a growing pot. So if you want to invest in yourself, in your financial education, in your personal development or any other sort of training or education you want to do, have money towards that. So your money can be for all sorts of different things. And then you might have a pot that is like, you know, for the future um, and for your financial freedom. Um, So having like your money, having different jobs to do, that's not all, so it's not all about the future, but it's also about today, I think is really, really helpful. And even if you can only put a small amount in each of those pots, this is why, what something that I think is really important is that you put a small amount in all the things that you want to do. So if you think of all these ideas of jobs you want your money to do, and even if you could only put a pound in them at the moment, you should do it, right? Sounds silly, pound, what's that gonna do? It's not gonna help me. It is what it what it does is psychologically opens the idea, opens the door to that thing being a thing for you. So, if you want a fund for doing things towards your health, for example, then start putting money into it. It will open the door to that being a possibility for you. And then set yourself an aim of trying to double what you put in there each month. Mm two pound to four pound to eight pound and before you know it that really can build up quite quickly so that's a way of starting off small and putting you psychologically in the right place um 
and then I suppose beyond that it's thinking about well how can, what things can I do to bring a bit more money into into my life mm-hmm. and am I open to receiving money in and what ways ways and means could I do that and one of the really good ways of starting to get being expansive in your mind to that is to write down a list of 50 ideas you've got 50 and it sounds quite a lot but the idea is it's a, a bigger bigger number so it gets you to start really thinking of stuff write down 50 ways that you think you could bring money into your life and even ways that you think well I'm not quite sure about that or I don't know if I like that or I don't know how to do that because it just puts it all out there on the table so it could go from like I don't know like starting oh, yeah. your own business empire doing something um getting involved in somebody else's business to things like babysitting dog walking um selling clothes on ebay i don't know it could be any any way that you can think of bringing money in because once you start being open and receptive to receiving more income then your brain just clicks into gear and starts looking and finding ways and being more open to do that's one yeah amazing that's that's some really good practical advice thank you so much caroline um i bet that will help loads of people actually listening to this and hearing yeah giving them some ideas of how they can start thinking of growing their uh, sources of, of income um and I think there'll be quite a few people who listen to this that are birth workers and doulas just because, you know, that's the the area that I'm working in at the moment. And it is a topic that comes up quite a lot um, for them, you know, charging, charging what they're worth or how much they feel comfortable charging with. And there's such a huge range of um, people charging yeah. yeah, really wildly different fees um so that is is quite a hot topic so i think there'll be quite a few uh people that i know would benefit from listening to that definitely definitely i've done um i I haven't done it for a while now but i have done in the past a workshop on um pricing and finding your right pricing and different way you can set that up so removing like your limiting beliefs around that and then working out how you do charge what Mm. you're worth but still kind of put in help the people that you want to help it's a real it's a double-edged sword isn't it but there is ways of doing it actually and that can work out to be quite quite comfortable and I think we know we can't help everybody well we can help everybody but we've got to have different in my opinion I think different kind of offers and different ways of doing that Mm -hmm. so like podcasts are a brilliant way of helping lots of people right Mm -hmm. um all loads of information but that doesn't mean you can't have a at the other end of the spectrum of your um, offerings, something, you know, like a VIP way of working with somebody that, you know, that is at the high end of your um, pricing strategy. Because there's every there's somebody out there for everything, right? By just focusing on helping everybody, sometimes you're not helping everybody because there's somebody out there who will say, well, actually, I don't, I don't want that one. I want the one where I get this kind of one-on-one service. I get this and I get somebody to stay with me and always available for like, you know, weeks on end or whatever it is that they're looking for. There's somebody out there who's got the money who wants that service. And if you don't offer it, where do they go? (laughs) We're always thinking about the people who can't afford it. What about the people who can afford it? We need to provide services for them as well. It's kind Mm -hmm. of a weird way of thinking about it. I think it will probably, when people listen to this, I think it might rub them a bit the wrong way. 
And that's, but, you know, at the end of the day, we can provide services at any level we wish to do so, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's not always thinking about when we're thinking about generating more income, it doesn't necessarily have to always think about it being from from our employment or our our Yeah, absolutely. And that actually, you've just reminded me of one other question that I have, and it is is related to some of the things that Fred does with his money. And um, again, the conversations that have come up in the house and also with our friends and family as well, Um, because I guess, you know, Fred has chosen to invest in what would be deemed high risk investments. So in the Forex market and cryptocurrency, um, and I think that has made people that people are, a lot of people are quite skeptical about those kind of investments. I mean, what, what's your opinion on those kind of more riskier types of investments? I think that um, everything has its place. So you shouldn't be putting all your money in one thing. So I think that things like Forex and crypto definitely have a place as part of your portfolio. Um, they are, in terms of return, you know, much more lucrative than, than other, other investments, but they are much more volatile, so they go up and down a lot more um, and can be a bit more of a roller coaster ride. So you want to balance that off with having money in, in other things that just plod along or traditionally plod along a little bit more. Um, I mean, I don't really like keeping too much money in cash because it doesn't do anything. But, you know, there's other types of kind of mixed investment that you can put your money in that's where the ups and downs are a lot less. And property, you know, we in this country anyway, it tends to sort of grind itself <laughs> forwards most of the time, some, some backward starts. But, you know, generally with a rising property market over time. So I think, you know, these things are um, they're part of a, Part, as part of portfolio are, are a good thing what's exciting i think about like things like forex and crypto is that they can really accelerate your fi- financial freedom so much quicker than other types of investments so um that can you know quickly if things work in your favor and go the right way um you know quickly you could find yourself in a position from going from like okay i can't see how to obtain my financial freedom to oh actually it looks quite achievable by adding this into into the mix. So it's not something to be scared of. I think that's the first thing is to say, it sounds quite mysterious. It kind of sounds a bit like too good to be true, but actually, you know, this is what big institutions have been doing with our money for years. And it doesn't necessarily just have to be the preface of kind of traders and these guys running around wearing the funny jackets and all that kind of stuff is like in the, <laughs> back in the day I mean it's all just sitting in front of computers now but um you know it doesn't have to be that we it, there's some great um women traders out there women for women in forex as well and um, not as many as you'd think I, I really struggle to find English women doing trading actually mm. or, or if they are they're not talking about it on social media put it that way but um <laughs> <laughs> there's um you know there's some there's some good people there's a lady in australia called louise bedford who i like and watching she's um got some good podcasts she does a mixture of kind of mindset stuff and actual trading um ideas and things like that so there's some really interesting um people around so i think it's about just growing your financial education and in, in in the end yeah. and it's 
So don't be close to the idea of these things you see just because they look good. They might well be good, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a, a really wonderful answer to that question. Um, and yeah, you have to, I guess, yeah, be open to to learning. And so many people in my recent experience just completely want to shut the door on it but before they've even thought of learning because they already think they know that it's bad <laughs> i'll tell you what like money is totally one of those things that people think they know it already it it's something i don't know what it is about it entirely but it's one of those things that we think we should all already know what to do and that make us quite close down to learning about it we kind of think well we should know this already and and so then we're too afraid to ask or on the on the other side of should is like you know that kind of arrogant side of should is like yeah of course I know this you know I think this I think that so this is the way that you do money and this is what my dad told me like you should never put money in a pension let's do it all la 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 and all this kind of stuff you know these things they're so ingrained that we just think we should know and the reality is I don't know about anybody else they never taught us about money at school um we had no financial education I know things are changing nowadays but um you know we weren't even told how to budget we weren't told about credit cards we weren't told about anything you know and you think about it's just ridiculous you think about the history of money or history of financial advice actually um just to get on my soapbox slightly here but back in the 80s in the 70s, 80s, you used to have what's called like the man from the prude knock at your door, right? Mm-hmm. So Prudential, a big life assurance company, and there's other companies like that. But they literally a man used to come and knock on your door and get your money for your life assurance and your savings each week before the advent of direct debits and all this stuff. And so actually at the time, there was quite a good level of financial education in terms of protecting your family and saving for the future. The products themselves are a bit, weren't great which is kind of part of the failing of it. But um, the principle was there, this idea that you should save for the future and that, you know, should you die, that you have a life insurance so that your family would be okay. But then in, as we got towards the sort of late 80s into the 90s, financial companies realised they could make a load more money out of you by selling you credit, so credit cards, loans, etc. It was far more lucrative for them to do that than it was to sell you a life assurance or a savings plan. So the man from the Prue kind of, you know, the whole that whole thing they got made redundant there, just went away. Mm. <laughs> that wasn't really a thing anymore. And financial advice became regulated as well. And so it kind of made it the premise more of people who had like loads of money and needed something to do with it and so the everyday person got pushed away from life assurance and savings to spending money to credit cards to loans to this and that and the other and here we here we are 20 30 years later and we're still kind of in that consumerism cycle because it's better for the financial companies so you've got to start taking charge and say well actually no i want it to be the other way around you know so i can I, you know, I can do, I can spend money, but I can also save money, I can invest money, I can grow money, and I can learn how to do that easily. Um, and it's not something to be afraid of. So mm. there you go, we've been screwed over. <laughs> so yeah. like move out of the box, right? No, no, I, I, I think that was great. I mean, I'm, I find hearing that kind of stuff completely fascinating. And I think that 
there's so there's so much that we don't know um and so you know anything we can do to educate ourselves about how we got to where we are i think is is really important really important yeah a lot of time we think we're acting pretty pretty well but you know <laughs> we're not necessarily a lot of things are sort of not pushed upon us but you know slowly but surely drip fed into our psyche aren't they as the way to do things so mm. so yeah so yeah do you want to be one of those people who's um yeah getting their money to do a bit, a bit of work for them as well mm. not, not just going out the door um Amazing. It's, all, it's all can be done it all can be done it doesn't need to be hard money can come to you easily you can make money easily these are things tell yourself a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you'll start seeing ways of doing it and think oh, okay <laughs> well just just before we close the the interview I will tell you the most hilarious thing um Athena so she's four and a half yeah. um and I do m- most nights I'm either sleeping with Athena or with our younger daughter, one of them. And um, the other night I woke up and was with Athena and she woke up and she said, mummy, mummy, I am a money magnet. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, she gave me this whole spiel of, you know, money comes to me from many sources or she gave me this whole thing. I can't even remember it now. And I was a bit, I did think, Fred, what are you, t- what are you telling her? Um, or how much are you telling her that she could just literally reel it off to me? And I said to him, you know, what are you telling Athena? And how often are you telling her this stuff? Because I think, you know, it's all good to give her these good messages, but, you know, can you just tone it down a bit? He said, he said I've said it to her once. I, you know, it is not something that he, and she has she's got a good memory, but she just comes out with these things um, that, you know, that we've said to her. And I thought, how lucky actually she is to have Fred as her dad uh, because you know if it wasn't for his kind of um mindset and open-mindedness to these things it, I wouldn't have ever learned about them either so yeah I definitely want to instill this concept of being open-minded and constantly yeah. learning and I think that's every I want that I want them to apply that to all elements of their life not just money but yeah. why not why not money you know brilliant thing to to learn about definitely definitely oh that that is hilarious (laughs) (laughs) thank you caroline you have been so wonderful if if anyone wants to find you where's the best place to to look you up you can um pop over to my website which is moneymindsetcoaching.co.uk um and email caroline at moneymindset moneymindsetcoaching.co.uk and I'm the same on Facebook I have learned so much from our chat today thank you you're wonderful I know you